Good morning, everybody. Uh, also, for everybody who's on the stream, just want to say uh, welcome to Sunday service. Uh, before I start our, our message for today, I just want to, uh, you're going to notice we have a lot of young folks back here today because a lot of our college kids are back for spring break. And so uh, welcome back to all of our college students who's here. Uh, I have two things for you guys. The first thing is um, today, after this service, Right outside our lobby, we have free pizza for you, okay? So college students, uh, don't leave without getting a slice of pizza, okay? So we can hang out, we can talk. Um, And for those of you who are non-college, bring a college student, you'll also get a free pizza slice, okay? Um, But this is just one of the ways we really want to love and embrace our college students as you guys are back from spring break. The second thing is this Friday, we also are going to be going ice skating as a college fellowship, all right, at Palisade Center Ice Rink. Admission fee is 16 bucks, um, and so bring that. That it covers admission, that covers your rentals, and it's going to be a really good time. And so this is open to everybody, so please come yourself and invite those you might know. Uh, with that being said, uh, let's go into today's uh, message. Uh, for those of you who uh, are new or visiting, we've been in a sermon series titled Return to the Promise. And we've been in a sermon series throughout the book of Jeremiah. And it's been fascinating to see how the message God had for Israel thousands of years ago still finds its way to be relevant for us today. Um, and, and it's remarkable. And I know throughout our sermon series, we've been focusing on Israel as the main characters throughout Jeremiah, and we've been studying what God's been doing in their life. But just as important as it is to look at the life of Israel, I think it's also really important to look at the life of Jeremiah the prophet, the one who's sending this message to them. Just as much as God had a purpose and a plan for Israel, he also had one for Jeremiah as well. And I know when you see people like Jeremiah or you see other heroes of our faith, I know it's really easy to assume that they were born that way, right? I mean, you can read Moses, you can read David, you can read the prophets, man, and you can read, you know, all the other disciples of Christ. It's easy to assume from what, depending on what perspective you look at it, they were born just super mega obedient Christians. But that's not the case, Um, But rather, what God had to do with each and every one of them was he had to take them through a process of teaching them what it means to trust him more and more and more. I don't know if you knew this, but the moment you're born, it's not like God places an operating system into your heart where you reproduce perfect obedience all the time. God doesn't work that way, but he forms you. And he teaches you what it means to trust him more. And that's what we're going to look at when we see our passage today. Um, What this prayer teaches us, I'm going to read our passage in a moment. What Jeremiah's prayer teaches you and me is that when you follow God, he will lead you into moments that might be a little hard for you. He will. And what we need in those moments are not only answers and resolutions, but what we need is his presence. Answers and resolutions can only take you so far, but his presence can take you all the way home. And that's what we're gonna look at today. So if you have your Bibles, please find Jeremiah chapter 20, verses seven to 18. And if you don't, uh, feel free to look right behind me. But this is what Jeremiah prays to God, and it's a really honest one. He says this, O Lord, You have deceived me and I was deceived. You are stronger than I and you have prevailed. 
I have become a laughing stock all the day. Everyone mocks me for whenever I speak, I cry out, I shout violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision all day long. If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart as it were a burning fire shut up in my bones and I am weary with holding it in and I cannot for I hear many whispering terror is on every side. Denounce him, let us denounce him, say all my close friends, watching for my fall. Perhaps he will be deceived. Then we can overcome him and take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me as a dread warrior. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble. They will not overcome me. They will be greatly shamed, for they will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord of hosts, who tests the righteous, who sees the heart and the mind, let me see your vengeance upon them. For to you I have committed my cause. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the needy from the hand of evildoers." Cursed be the day on which I was born. The day when my mother bore me, let it not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father, a son is born to you, making him very glad. Let that man be like the cities that the Lord overthrew without pity. Let him hear a cry in the morning and an alarm at noon, because he did not kill me in the womb. So my mother would have been my grave and her womb forever great. Why did I come out from the womb to see toil and sorrow and spend my days in shame? This is the word of the Lord. Jeremiah's prayer here that he's praying in verses seven to 18, it's really unique. And the reason it's unique is because this is what you call a prayer of lament. And when you look out through the book of Psalms, you look at Psalm 39, Psalm 88, some other prophetic prayers that they pray, there are moments when these authors go through such a time of grief and sorrow and they pray these kinds of prayers. And what's unique about these prayers is that they begin with despair and they end with despair. And when you look at our passage right now, verses to 7, 10, Jeremiah begins with despair. Verses 11 to 13, he moves to hope. But then in verses 14 to 18, it ends with despair. And I remember reading these prayers and wondering why would God allow prayers like this to be in the Bible? Um, because for those of you who work in marketing, it's a terrible PR move to add something like this that says, hey, if you wanna be a Christian, it won't be all sunshine and rainbows, but you're actually gonna experience some cloudy skies and thunderstorms. And it's as if by these things being in the Bible, we're affirming that yeah, when you walk with God, sometimes it's going to be a little hard. And so God not only chooses to keep these prayers in the book, but as you keep reading through the people in here, you'll find that he actually leads his people to praying praise like this because life just gets so hard. But one thing you and I need to understand is that the fact that these prayers are in here is only because God wanted them to be in here. These prayers of lament, it's strangely comforting because yeah, it's heavy, it's weighty, and it's sad, but on the other hand, it's really, really uplifting because they portray what life is like for you and me really accurately. I mean, think about it, in life, don't we oscillate between the two tensions? Don't we have, you know, Saturday we feel really good, 
Sunday night, Sunday scary kicks in and we feel really bad. We go between good times and bad times, happiness, sadness, hope, despair. And the fact that this is here, it's showing you, yeah, that's what the human condition in life is like. And because God also knew that this is what life was like, he intentionally kept these prayers right here so that you and I, that when we read it, that we won't only relate with them when we need them the most, but also so that we can see that we have a God who understands what suffering feels like. I don't know if you knew this, but God knows what a broken heart sounds like. God knows what a broken heart prays like. And you see it because you see passages like this that are recorded again and again and again. And you see this in verse seven. Take a look at it with me. Jeremiah prays, O Lord, you have deceived me and I was deceived. You were stronger than I and you have prevailed. I have become a laughing stock all the day. Everyone mocks me. If you look into the anatomy of Jeremiah's heart, you're going to find that he's so confused with what is going on in his life right now. You know, his main problem in this prayer with God is that he feels like God tricked him. When Jeremiah says, oh Lord, you deceived me, what he's saying is, God, you don't seem like the faithful savior to me right now, but you look more like the disruptor of my life. And I don't know if I can trust you right now with everything that's going on right now. It's as if, you know, in this moment, he prays this prayer and he goes back to chapter one where he remembers when God called him for the first time. And Jeremiah's like, God, like what happened over there? You said you were gonna use me and that people were gonna turn and that you're gonna use me to declare your word. What happened back in chapter one? Because last time I checked, suffering was not part of my job expectation. You didn't say that if I was obedient to you, I would be met with curses because I was assuming blessings. I was assuming prosperity. But that's not what you're giving me right now. It's, 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 it's the opposite, God. Like, what are you doing in this situation? And I feel like one of the first things we can do when we approach Jeremiah's prayer like this is to just marinate in it and, and identify with it. Because I'm sure there are a lot of you and me, a lot of you, including myself, where we've prayed prayers like this before. And so what is God doing here, right? We need to ask that question. Is Jeremiah right when he comes before God? He says, God, you deceived me. Is he right? Did God deceive him? Is God not worthy of our trust? And does he enjoy allowing allowing people to suffer? No, he doesn't. And, and you know that when you read verse 11, Jeremiah doesn't believe in it either. What's happening in, 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 in this prayer is Jeremiah understands he's just being absolutely honest before God. Because if you read verse 11, Jeremiah says, God, I know you're with me. God, I know I'm not alone in this. So we know his prayer, he doesn't believe God deceived him. But what he's doing is he's bringing his most honest and vulnerable prayers before God and he's just praying it. Is he theologically correct? No, but does he still bring his theologically incorrect prayers before God and place his trust in him? He does. And there's a lot we can learn from that. And the reason, oh, that like hit a gut in me saying that right now. Um, The the reason God allowed Jeremiah, I'm like tensing up everywhere now. Uh, The reason God allowed Jeremiah to experience these things is because God needed to make sure Jeremiah's faith was ready for what's to come. Guys, we're in chapter 20. There are still 32 chapters left in this book. 
And the reason God had to take Jeremiah through a situation like this is to make sure that he's ready to face what's to come. And we all know growth doesn't happen whenever we just want to. No one just grows when they want to. We grow when we have to. And that's the case with Jeremiah right now. And so what does God do? He calls a full court press on Jeremiah. He puts the pressure on and he begins to challenge Jeremiah and to grow his faith because we all know it's one thing to know God is good when life is good. It's also a whole nother thing to know God is good when life gets really, really hard. The furthest distance in the world it's not the 12,430 miles between the North Pole to the South Pole. It's actually the 18 inches between our heads to our hearts because it takes a miracle for what we know to be true to become what we believe to be true. And, and because God knew this similarly, he knew how hard it was for us to transfer what we know to be true downtown to what we believe to be true so he shakes us up here and there so that we would both know and believe that he's good. So if it starts in our heads, right, and then it travels downward, then it's really important what we think about God and suffering. And Jeremiah's prayer teaches us to keep in mind one thing. And I think that if we can keep in mind this one thing when it comes to God and suffering, it's going to help us sift through and bring a lot of clarity into what's going on in our lives. And this one thing we need to keep in mind, it's something the minis are probably teaching right now. And it's something we as adults need to come back to. And that's God loves us and his intentions for us are good. Super simple, right? It's, it's like a children's sermon. God loves you, and his intentions for you are good. But this is also so deep and profound, and we need to remember this. And this is what I mean. I think the temptation that we face when it comes to God and suffering is that when I do something bad, that equals punishment. When I do something wrong, that equals God hates me and he wants to get back in me so that I learn. And if we view it this way, we're gonna view God as our oppressor and we're gonna begin to view ourselves as the victims and we're never going to understand why certain things happen to us in our lives. But if we can keep in mind that God, God is love and that he loves us and his intentions for us are good, then that's gonna be a reminder for us that every time we experience adversity and hardship, that his hands are involved in it, like Pastor Dave talked about last week, but also that it's a vehicle by which our faith grows stronger. Jackie Hill Perry, um, a spoken word artist, but also uh, a teacher, she said it this way. If God can't sin, that means he can't sin against you. And if he can't sin against you, that means he can't lie against you. And if he can't lie against you, doesn't that make him the most trustworthy person in your life? Jeremiah did not have all the answers in this situation. And many times we don't either when we're experiencing something really, really hard. But one thing he did know was that God can be trusted in. And we know he continues to trust in God, not only because we can skip to the end of Jeremiah and see that he does finish his race well, 
But it's also because when you look at verse seven, Jeremiah refers to God with the title of authority and a title of trust. He says, oh Lord. And he comes says, oh Lord, and he begins to pour out his prayers before him. You know, throughout chapters one to 20 of our, of our book, Jeremiah has prayed a prayer like this five times. Did you know that? He prayed a prayer of lament five times. And each prayer grew gradually and gradually more raw. Because as he keeps praying this prayer, his emotional distress, his spiritual oppression from those around him, they get gradually and gradually worse. But something he does right here is that every time the pressure and the distress gets higher and higher, he doesn't move further and further away from God, but he moves closer and closer to God. And so if what we're seeing right now is that God doesn't bring suffering over Jeremiah's life because he hates him, but it's actually because God loves him, why does God allow those he loves to suffer? Right? Because Jeremiah did nothing wrong here. The reason he's being persecuted is because he was obediently preaching the word of God. If you look at verses one to six, you know, he, he was given a message from God to preach to, to, you know, to the people a message of repentance. And Jeremiah says, I'm going to do it. And so he goes, he preaches his word of repentance. He, he has his fire in his heart. And, and, he ex- and I bet he would have expected that the people would have been on their knees repenting before God, inviting him back into their life. And I bet, I bet he would have ex- uh, expected people to thank him, thank you for your boldness, thank you for reminding me of God. But that's not what happens. Rather, Jeremiah is found to be on his knees. He's being beaten. He's unjustly accused for preaching a false message, and then he's thrown in jail. He's doing what he's supposed to do. Then why is he suffering? Why does God allow those he loves to suffer? And there can be a million reasons to this. And, you know, this is a question philosophers, for the beginning of time, we've been asking, why does bad things happen to good people? And if you want to know the definitive answer to that, ask P. Dave. Okay? <laughs> um, ask him. Uh, but all jokes aside, there, there's a million reasons, right? And if, we, and if we had the definitive answer to that, we still wouldn't be wrestling with this question. So I don't know. I don't know exactly why God allows these things to happen, but I can kind of know two things through uh, deductive reasoning that I think when I look at scripture and when I look at the world that happens around us. And those two things is because we live in a broken world, and number two is because God is doing something in it in our faith to, draw, to show us who he is. I think those are the two reasons. I don't think I need to remind any of us that we live in a broken world. Right. Um, when you look at the news, you, you open up Instagram, open up Twitter, open up TikTok, right? I read this thing on New York Times that said one of the greatest vehicles of highlighting uh, Russian oppression in Ukraine is TikTok. You know, the young people are, are, are broadcasting everything that's going on right now. You open the news, you're going to see hate crimes, you're going to see war. And you, we need to know that hate crimes and wars are not a result because of God's hatred, God doesn't hate the people that are being, uh, are being hurt. God doesn't hate Ukraine, and that's why these things are happening. 
But the reason suffering comes is because we live in a broken world filled with broken people who continue to do broken things. That's one of the reasons why suffering comes because we live in a broken world fractured by sin. And so that's the first thing we need to understand. But the second thing we need to understand is that God uses hardship to refine and grow our faith. When you see the prayer that's happening right now, you know, remember that I said he moves from despair to hope and then back to despair. And somebody could read verses 14 and 18 after Jeremiah gives his hope of praise and he says, did Jeremiah relapse over here? Is that what happened? It, it, did everything he say in verses 11 to 13, was that fake? And, and I wanna show you that no, that's not the case. Jeremiah's faith here is not weakening, but it's actually strengthening. And we know this because after Jeremiah prays a prayer like this, beginning in chapter 21, Jeremiah never wavers in his faith again. This is the fifth and final prayer of lament. After this prayer right here, he does not falter, but he boldly preaches the word of God despite the persecution that's still there. And he doesn't hinder, but he keeps moving forward for the gospel again and again and again. He doesn't hesitate. So clearly, God is doing something here. We don't know what he's doing, We don't know exactly what happened, but we do know who happened and that who is God. And he did something in Jeremiah's life where he doesn't shake. There's there's nothing you and I can do to prevent suffering in our lives. You know, we can can do everything to prevent us from suffering. You can boost your 401k. You can get, you get, you know, Botox in your face to make sure you prevent yourself from looking older and looking young. You can, you can do whatever it takes to prevent yourself from suffering, but the truth is, it's going to come sooner or later, and we all know that. Why? Because we, we live in this world. We all know what life is like, and so we can't do anything to stop it, but what we can do is to expect it to come. We can expect suffering to come. And when we have these right expectations, and when we remember that God loves us and that his intentions are f- for us are good, we're going to be able to see what God is doing in this, despite how cloudy it is. Now, I, no, we can have all the right practices and, and thinking, right? I, c- I could end the sermon right here and I can say, now go have the right thinking. Remember this and just don't forget it. And, and, and when suffering comes, you'll be okay. But you and I both know that when we experience a suffering in our lives that's way more difficult for us than we can bear, we know practices, mindsets, thinking, they all go out the window. And our only instinct in those moments is to survive. Our only instinct is to survive in those moments. So what do we do in these moments when we just want to survive and answers and resolutions are not good enough for us to endure? We have to see that we need his presence. We have to see that we need his presence. And that's what Jeremiah shows us right here. Take a look at verse nine. Jeremiah says this. If I say I will not mention him or speak anymore in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. I love verse nine because in Jeremiah's moment of physical and spiritual exhaustion, something captivated his heart that was larger than the opposition he faced from his persecutors. Something gripped his heart that even though he wanted to quit, 
Even though he wanted to let go of his faith, he just couldn't because something stronger was holding on to him. And because this fire was internally within him, it gave him a boldness that no matter what happened externally around him, he could continue enduring and persevering. And this grace that Jeremiah experienced, this fire in his heart, is nothing but the very close presence of God. When you do a word study of the word fire um, in the Bible, it's always used to represent the presence of God. So think Exodus 3. Think uh, Moses, um, he, he encounters God in the burning bush, God manifests himself there, and he gives him a message to deliver the nation of Israel. And, but also think uh, pillars of fire, when God leads Israel out of Egypt and he, his presence is with them through a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire for 40 days. Not 40 years. Um, and then think uh, Acts chapter two, when the disciples are in the upper room and they're terribly afraid, and then the tongues of fire rest on them, signifying the coming of the Holy Spirit. So every time you look at the Bible, fire always has a way to represent the presence of God. And Jeremiah's boldness, right? Jeremiah's boldness and his obedience, it didn't come from his sheer willpower to endure. First of all, we don't see that in the text. You don't see Jeremiah's willpower to just pick himself by the bootstraps and face his persecutors. It's not what happens. And it wasn't also his gifting as a preacher that made his message of repentance to hear. Last time I checked, I don't like, te- I don't like someone telling me to repent. It's not an easy thing to hear, no matter how close you are to God. And thirdly, it, wasn't, it, it most definitely wasn't his love and commitment for God that endured suffering. Jeremiah did nothing to stay faithful to God. The only reason Jeremiah could not leave his calling was because God was with him and he refused to leave Jeremiah's heart and that's his grace. The grace of God in this passage is that no matter what you go through, God will still be there with you. That's the promise that he makes, and that's the promise we need to learn to take from our minds into our hearts. Um, And I want to ask you guys, I want to ask us as a church, do you believe this? Do you believe that God is with you, or is, he more, or is he more like an afterthought in your mind? Is he more like, is he more like Amazon Echo, or is, is he more like Google Home? Hey, God, what's the weather outside? Hey, God, what's going to happen if I say yes to this job? What's going to happen if I say no to this job? Or is God more like your Lord and Savior, who says, my son and my daughter, you listen to me. You trust me. Which one is he? Because I know for me too, he's more of the first than he is of the latter. And Jeremiah makes it very clear that this Lord and Savior who is strong is with you. He says in verse 11, but the Lord is with me as a dread and mighty warrior. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble. They will not overcome me. The Lord is with me. Psalm 139, verses seven to 10, paints paints a beautiful picture of what God's presence is like. And this is what the psalmist, this is what he says. Verse seven, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I fall from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. 
If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. And what the psalmist is doing, he's painting a beautiful word picture of God's omnipresence. That's what he's doing here. When he says, if I go up to the heavens, he's saying, where is the heavens? It's north. When he says, if I make my bed in Sheol, where is Sheol? It's south. When he says, if I make my bed, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, meaning where does the sun rise and set from? It's from east to west. And what, what the psalmist is doing, he's painting a word compass and illustrating to you and me that God is everywhere present. North, east, south, and west, wherever you go, he's there. Even if you can't see him. There was one uh, third grade class where they were having bring your uh, father to, to class day, to, to school, and pretty much um, there, all these kids were bragging about their dads, and, and one, one student, he, he said, well, you know, my dad, he's a CEO, and we go on vacation to Europe every year. Another student said, oh yeah, well, my dad, he's a doctor, and he's rich, we're rich, and I have a dirt bike, right? And then a third student said, oh yeah, you know what? My dad, he's a hero because he's a firefighter and he fights fire. And then there's a fourth student that said, well, my dad's not a CEO. My dad's not a doctor. My dad's not a firefighter. But you know what? My dad, he's here. You see, for all the other kids, their dads were way too busy to be there for their kids, um, show and tell, come to class day. But this kid, his dad was there. And similarly, you and I have to know that God is here in your midst, right here, right now, whatever you go through. Jeremiah may have had uh, this fire in his heart that reminded him of God's presence. And I'm sure some of you are, are, are listening to the sermon and thinking right now, if only I had that, right? If only I had this fire that reminded me that God was there, but when I look in this little thing, there's nothing there. There's no fire, there's no spark, there's no ember, it's just dry. If only I had what Jeremiah had, I would believe it too. And I, this is where I wanna remind you, friends, that you do that if you are a Christian in this room, you do have a fire in your heart that reminds you of the presence of God. See, the thing about Jeremiah's fire, it was only a reminder of the presence of God. It was only a reminder that God was there. But for you and me, when you look into the New Testament, it tells you that because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you and I have another fire in our hearts that, that is named the Holy Spirit, who, not is only, who is not only a reminder of God's presence, but who is the very presence of God. And he dwells in your hearts and he dwells in mine. And that is a true promise for every Christian in this room who believes and places their trust in Christ. The Holy Spirit, we have to understand, friends, that when we see the Holy Spirit, yeah, it's a lot of things, right? You, depending on where you go, what church you go to, people call it the Holy Ghost. 
People call it, um, I don't know, whatever, like something else, like this, uh, other words that I'm not remembering right now. Uh, but one thing that the Bible does portray, it is, it is God's presence. And the fact that the Holy Spirit is deposited into yours and mine means that Jesus can be trustworthy, trust, um, trusted. It means you can trust it, you can trust in God because the only way for the Holy Spirit to enter your heart and my heart is through the death of Christ. You see, Jesus is the greater Jeremiah, and Jesus did what Jeremiah failed utterly to do. If you see this prayer, Jeremiah had doubts. He lacked trust in God, and he wanted to abandon his calling, but the only reason he wasn't able to was because God was holding on to his faith. When Jeremiah was ready to let go, God was holding on. That's the only reason why he couldn't abandon his faith. It had nothing to do with Jeremiah here. He did nothing. But what about Jesus? What about Jesus when you see what he did in the Gospels where he, he lacked, I mean, he did not lack, he had absolute trust in God. He was faithful and obedient all the way to the end. And even though he saw death was at the end of the tunnel, he stayed faithful. He stayed obedient and he didn't leave. But what happened to him? Was he delivered? No. He found himself hanging on a cross, naked, with persecutors taunting him all around him, saying, if you're the, really the son of God, come down. And he was in utter darkness as the storms covered him on the cross. And, and his song was very different from Jeremiah's song in verse 13. Because God delivered Jeremiah, he's able to sing, sing to the Lord, Praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the needy from the hand of evildoers. But the song of Christ was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we have to see that you can trust in Jesus. And you have to see that his presence is with you. In the times of our darkest needs, our darkest times, our most difficult struggles, we have to see the broken savior who was broken on behalf of broken sinners. That's what you and I have to see. When in moments life gets so dark and you don't know if Jesus is there, you have to trust that he's teaching you to stop placing your faith in your emotions and to stop placing your faith in just wishful thinking and absent hope, but to place it in the fact that even though you don't see him there, he's there. Now that's the type of faith that I want. That's the type of faith that I want that when things just get so hard, I know without a doubt that he's there. And so what does this mean for you and me? And this is my closing. We need to honestly, we need to honestly ask ourselves, what is it that you want? Do you want answers and resolutions or do you want his presence? Answers and resolutions will only take you so far, but his presence will take you all the way home. So what do we have to do? We need to, we need to get around people and practices that's going to increase our awareness of God's presence. You know, as, um, as uh, Grace and Dennis amazingly uh, gave us the announcement today, CGs end today, registration, they close today at 5 p.m. And so if you're not part of one, I really wanna highly encourage you get, get plugged into one. 
Um, I know my CG, I still have one opening left. And so, and I know there are others too that might have at least one or two open. And I just really want to encourage you, if you're not plugged into one, get plugged into one. Get around people who also want to increase their awareness of God's presence as they open up God's word, as they share about life together, and as they pray. Okay, get around them. But also, in moments where you don't know what to pray before God, I want you to look at this passage and just pray your honest prayers before God. You know, do they have to be theologically correct? No. Should we try to be? Yes. But will God still expect the broken heart that you bring to him? Absolutely. And so know that you can come before God and that he'll be there for you. And also for college students here, our CGs are available too online. If you're not part of one or you're not part of a community, talk to me and let, let's get you plugged in. Um, but also get a, make sure to grab a pizza after the service so that we could also increase our awareness of God's presence by eating pizza together and just fellowshipping together. So will you do that, friends? Uh, let's just close in prayer at this time. And as you pray, um, I just want you to ask God a very simple prayer of, Lord, will you remind me that you're here with me? Um, Will you remind me that you're here with me? And so in your own way, let's come before him and pray that prayer. want to thank you for for giving us your son as proof that you love us and that proof that our that your intentions for us are good and lord i pray that when we experience some dark times in our life that we would never doubt that your intentions for us are good god you know what it feels like to be broken you know what it feels like to suffer so god help us to connect and to remember our suffering Savior who took our place on that cross. And God, in moments we don't see you, help us to cling on to the fact that you know. And God, and teach us what it means to trust you apart from emotion, apart from wishful thinking. But teach us what faith looks like where even if we don't see you, we know you're there. And so God, would you refine our faith for those of us who are in difficult circumstances and difficult moments right now, God, would you draw close to them? Father, you say that you draw near to the brokenhearted. And so, Father, would you draw near to us today? And for those of us who are looking for answers and resolutions to why we are suffering the way that we are, God, would you give us enough faith to surrender those desires and to simply ask for your presence? So remind us that you're with us Remind us that you're good. And, and let us hold on to this until the day we see you face to face and we can rest from all the brokenness in this world. 
thank you for loving us and help us to sing, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Let's, um, Jesus' name I pray, amen. And can everyone at this time just rise to your feet and let's come before him with a song and worship.